Well, it's good to be here today. It's a perfect day to drive from L.A. to Ventura. Everybody's at the airport or they're shopping today. <laughs> so it was smooth sailing all the way. I am going to talk about December 8th today. Now, you may wonder, why would he talk about December 8th? And it is because in the Japanese tradition, it is Bodhi Day. It's the day the Buddha became the Buddha. Siddhartha became enlightened. So why would it be on December 8th when most of Buddhism celebrates the enlightenment of the Buddha on the full moon day of May? I said the same thing. <laughs> and then I found out it's because in the mid-1600s, Japan wanted to become more westernized. So they went from the lunar calendar to the Gregorian calendar. And that's how we ended up with December 8th as Bodhi Day. And isn't it cool that in the month of December, Buddhists get to celebrate too? <laughs> you know? I like that. So what is this enlightenment stuff? And, and how did Siddhartha transform into the Buddha? Well, he was born like we all are or were or will become, and he was a prince, and he had a great life, and all that kind of stuff. You've heard that story before, but one of the parts of the story that I like a lot is when he went into the streets of the city, and he saw four things that forever changed his mind. First thing he saw was this really old guy. Now, he hadn't seen any really old people before because he was kept secluded in the palace with beautiful people. So he said, what's wrong with that guy? Is he sick? And the charioteer Chana said, no, 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 he's not sick. He's old. And everybody that lives long enough gets old and starts to look like that. And Siddhartha got sort of freaked out about that because he didn't want to look like that. And then they continued through the streets, and they saw this really sick guy who was on a curb, and he was puking, and Siddhartha said, wow, look how old that guy is. Chana said, no, no, age is not his problem. He's sick, and everybody that's born has to get sick. Wow. These two realities really jolted Siddhartha. And then finally, continuing through the streets of the city, he saw this dead person. And he said, Chana, what kind of illness does he have? And Chana said, no, no, he's more than ill. He's dead. And everybody that's born has to die. Man, all in one day. <laughs> okay, so now they're heading back to the palace, and they see this guy. He's all dressed in white. He's calm. He's collected. And Siddhartha said, why is that guy so unaffected by all the suffering I have just seen? And Chana said, because he's a religious person. He's a yogi. He's trying to find the answers to life. And I think that planted a seed in the future Buddha's mind that the religious path was the path that would be most satisfying. So he continued, and he continued, and he continued, and at the age of 29... He had his first child, 
He called his first child Rahula. Rahula means fetter or impediment. Now, I don't know many parents that were named their child fetter or impediments, but in the story, it really works well. <laughs> so Siddhartha kissed his wife and said, I have to leave now. I'm going to leave you in the care of my parents, the king and the queen, but I've got to go out and find the answer to suffering. Because everybody is suffering, and I think I can do it. So he left them, and for six years he practiced asceticism and renunciation and meditation, and he did all the things that they were doing in India at that time to achieve nirvana or enlightenment, and he didn't do it. He couldn't figure it out. He didn't work. He didn't meet anybody who had achieved it yet. They were all practicing. They were all working on it. So Siddhartha made a vow. I'm going to sit beneath this tree, which later became called the Bodhi tree, and I'm going to sit here until I get enlightened or I die. So he was sitting there for like a really long time. And thankfully, he didn't die. He became enlightened. And the night, the night he became enlightened, there's something called the three watches of the night. And he went through this cycle of the three watches. And that allowed him to achieve his nirvana, his freedom, his release. So what is the three watches? What are the three watches? The first watch is he became aware of all his past lives. Up to like 100,000 past lives, he could sit there and just go back and see when he was successful and see when he was a failure and see what he should have done and could have done and didn't do. Okay, that really helped him understand how he got to sit underneath this tree to work on his enlightenment. So that lasted a couple hours going through his past lives. Then the second watch of the night. This is the trippy part. This is the mystical part. It said his third eye opened. However you relate to that, I don't know, but his third eye opened. And he was able to see birth, death, afterlife, and come to an understanding of karma. So, Everything is born. Everything starts. Everything has a beginning. That's what he thought initially. But he came to understand that nothing exists separately or by itself. It's because of that that this occurs, and it's because of this that that occurs. We're all interconnected. We're all interdependent with everything. So he goes, wow. So birth isn't just me coming out of nothing and ending up here. It's been a long process. And I've had a lot of help to get to be born. And karma became one of the most important aspects of that birth. Now, most people think karma is what goes around comes around. I shouldn't do that because there's a consequence. I'll be nice and everything will happen nice to me and all that kind of stuff. And that's cool. That works at some level. 
But he came to understand that one of the main reasons we are born is because of our karma. We have a father, we have a mother, and we have karma. And if we didn't have the karma, we wouldn't get born. And that karma follows us through all our births, all our rebirths, all our lives. Now I know this is Ventura, and this is California, and you probably don't know many people who have been reborn. I don't know anybody that's been reborn. And the ones that say they were reborn, they were kings and queens. They had all sorts of money and prestige and power. I've never talked to anybody that was reborn and they were a garbage man in the last life. <laughs> okay. So this rebirth thing becomes really important when you add karma to it because it means in this lifetime, in this lifetime, if you are really skillful and wholesome and good, chances are you're going to have a really good rebirth and start out in a great place. But just because you start in a great place doesn't mean you'll end in a great place. So your whole life you can be working on being even better and even more skillful so you can have another good rebirth. Okay, then we come to death. And what happens when we die? There's an afterlife according to Buddhism. Now the afterlife, there's five realms of existence that the Buddha became aware of and it said he could see those with his mystical third eye. Number one, the hell realm. Oh man, we got the hell realm in Buddhism. We don't want to go there. We want to be good so we don't have to go there. But it's a terrible place and you're killed over and over again to feel the pain and suffering of losing a life. And then finally, after enough time and enough suffering, you're reborn out of the hell realm and you get to go up the ladder again. So in Buddhism, this is trippy. Nothing is forever. We don't have a forever. We don't have a forever. Dogs get a forever home. <laughs> Not humans. So, okay, now we go into the hungry ghost realm, which is also one of the hell realms, and it's usually depicted with these creatures that are 10 to 12 feet tall. And they have a little pinhole for a mouth. And no matter how hard they try to cram all the food through the pinhole mouth, they are always hungry and starving. The whole time they're in the hungry ghost realm. Okay, it sort of reminds me of Christmas shopping in a way. You know, you just, you just can't get enough. So that's the, now we go up to the animal realm. That's the, that's the highest of the hell realms. And why would the animal realm be a hell realm? You know, if you have pets, you know they do not live in hell. You pet them and clean them and feed them and love them and, oh, little Fluffy, you're my heart. But the problem with being in the animal realm is you're really limited. 
All you want to do is eat, sleep, and have sex. That's your life. It's also a life of a teenager. <laughs> Thankfully, they grow out of it. The next realm of existence is the human realm. And we made it. In spite of all those lifetimes we've had when we weren't skillful and weren't very good, we made it to the human realm. And according to Buddhism, that's the best place. Because we just have enough suffering to keep us trying to get rid of it. And we have enough pleasure and happiness generally to keep us from committing suicide. So we're like right in the middle and we're just going ahead. And we know we can do it. We can do it. We can end our suffering. All we got to do and and then we die. <laughs> and we're reborn again and we get to start over. Because none of us can remember what we did in the last lifetime. So the human realm is perfect, it's the best place to be, and we all made it. And now we've got the heaven realm. The heaven realm is just the way you think it should be. It's perfect. There's no desire to change anything. Everything is just at your beck and call. But the problem with the heaven realm is it doesn't last forever, and you have to be reborn out of that too. So through all the lifetimes we've had, we've gone up the scale and down the scale and up the scale and down the scale. And finally, here we are at a church in Ventura. <laughs> all of us are here today because of the thousands and millions of future and past lifetimes we're going to have and we've already had. What a special present moment this is, you know? Who would have thought 10 years ago that this would be the day we'd all be together? Nobody. Who knew? Okay, so now we've got this, the karma thing. We've got the rounds of birth and death. Okay, so the future Buddha was able to see this and put this into a context. And then the third watch of the night was probably the most important for us because that's when he figured out where suffering came from and how to end suffering. Okay, so where does suffering come from? It is said that suffering comes from desire, attachment, aversion, clinging, wanting things to be different than they are, wanting things to stay the same. All those things we try to do to make our life just perfect, we have no control over. We are one of the contributing factors in everything that happens in our life, but only one. You know, so give up being in control, just go with the flow, enjoy the ride. You can't change out there, but you can change in here. The whole idea is, if I can't control what's going outside, Maybe I've got something to say about what's going inside. And maybe I need to have a practice that will allow me to come to a place of acceptance and peace with what's going on outside so that can continue inside with peace and happiness. Okay, so what did the future Buddha discover? The Eightfold Path. 
Man, the Eightfold Path. Right view, right intention, right speech, right action, right livelihood, right effort, right mindfulness, and right concentration. And all you got to do is go to Google and you'll understand what all that means. Because <laughs> that's a whole nother talk. You know, but it starts really simply. It starts here. It starts today. It starts in the present moment. So every Buddhist and every conscious human being should be able to relate to this. So starting today, right now, I will practice not taking life. You know, big life, little life, in between life. I'm going to sort of not take life. I'm going to see how that works for me. What does it mean not to take life? And if I have to take a life, I need to be conscious. So I'm going to kill that cockroach. But I'm going to wish it a happy rebirth. <laughs> so we need to change our perspective about life and death and understand that life is so special and so unique and so hard to come by. And we're all here, and every creature, big and small, made it here today as well. This earth is filled with life. And most of us don't think too much about it. I know in the city, there's hardly any life at all. We have plastic grass and fake trees, and, you know, and they look nice. They look nice, but, but you know, how about the real trees? How do they look? And now it's Christmas season, and what the hell are we doing? We're cutting down the grass. We're cutting down the trees. We're cutting down the trees. We're putting lights on those trees. And we're singing in celebration to the dead tree that's in our house, in our home. What's wrong with us? Why do we want dead trees in our house? I can understand little living Christmas trees. And then after Christmas, you take them to the forest and plant them. Yes, yeah, see? That's the deal. So we have to start thinking a little differently, and it starts with today, I will practice not taking life. And then we go to today, I will practice not taking what is not given. I'm not going to steal anything today. You know, most of us have enough stuff anyway. We don't need to steal. But there are people now who are stealing and then reselling, and they're just all over the place. And can we not steal? Can we honor the illusion of ownership? I think we can. I know you got receipts. I know you think it's yours. But that's an illusion. It's not ours. We're just using all that stuff until somebody wants it more than we do. Or we can't find it. You know? Or it needs to go in storage because I haven't used it for 10 years. You know, it's an illusion. So just let the stuff go. Use it, and the stuff you're not using, give it to somebody who will use it. And then we'll keep that going, like the old books now. Give the books away. Let other people enjoy your books, because they were never yours in the first place. Third, no sexual misconduct. But even better than saying it that way, how about... I'm going to be in love and kindness with all the humans and others that I come in contact with. I'm going to love them in a kind and considerate way. I'm going to honor them. 
You know, and, and can we do that? Can we actually have love instead of lust? I think so. I think it's possible. I know when you're young, lust is much more important than love. But you know what? When you get old, it's so cool to have kind people around you who actually are happy to see you. Ed saw me today. He said, Kusla, how you doing, man? You enjoying the holiday? Well, it's a holiday, you know. <laughs> but it's like, that's the deal. Can we love, like, and be kind to everybody in our life? I think so. I think so. Third one, speak skillfully. No harsh speech, false speech, malicious speech, gossip or idle chatter. Now, I know idle chatter and gossip is just fantastic because it's so much fun. We make up stories. We have emotions. We have attachment and aversion. And we're sharing it with everybody. You know, and then now they're coming on board too, and now they hate everybody you hate. And you go, yeah, man, come on. So let's be skillful with what we say. And sometimes, you know, we don't need to say anything at all. Sometimes silence speaks louder than words, you know? And sometimes what you don't say is more important than what you do say. So skillful speech is really important. If we want to live in harmony and joy with others on this planet. And last but not least, stop getting high. <laughs> it's not worth it. It steals your wisdom. You start doing stupid things. More people suffer than had to. And eventually you suffer too. And all because you had that beer. Or maybe that case of beer, <laughs> depending on how you like to drink. And now marijuana is legal too. So we can get messed up in a lot of different ways now. How lucky are we to live in California? <laughs> so what the Buddha came to understand pretty much is that really, literally, our life is up to us. We invite others in, you know, and we share. But when it comes right down to it, man, it's all about you. But then you have to add this when you're saying to yourself, it's all about me. It's all about me, but I'm connected to everybody. So what I do affects everybody. I need to be more skillful. So when I do something, they can appreciate and enjoy the benefits of my skillful thought, speech, and action. Because nobody exists separately. We can't do it. We're not made that way. This whole reality is designed to allow us to be connected to each and every person and thing that breathes and sees and gives birth on this planet. So there's no reason to ever be lonely, though we get there sometimes. There's no reason to ever be blue, because all those happy people, there's a part of you that's going to be happy too. All those people that are sort of suffering or maybe sick, and that's a part of you too. But that's when the compassion and the kindness arises. 
and we have empathy and sympathy and we understand that we're next man we're next I don't want to be next let me out of this line I don't want to be in this line I don't want to be next no I'm sorry you're next you gotta be next well how can I be next well you have to come to a place of acceptance with being next that's all it's just the way it's supposed to be that's all you can't see it because you're deluded and ignorant but that's okay we all are and that's why we see all the stuff in sort of a weird way but we're next and if I can work on myself enough to come to a place of acceptance with the way things are in this very present moment I will not have to suffer and that's what the Buddha told us and showed us on December 8th according to the Japanese Buddhist tradition so thank you for the privilege of your time I'm so happy I made it here